This episode of the Police One Podcast is sponsored by Officer Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting officerstore.com. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, uh, hopefully you have seen us on YouTube, and if not, check us out. You will see what our guest looks like. Maybe we'll throw up a couple of graphics for you, and it makes for a more interesting visual show. All right, well, I'm always thankful for the expression of support for law enforcement and public safety, especially these days. I see the silent majority of public safety proponents stepping up and being more vocal, I've seen so many examples of community support recently, but some have been around for a long while, like uh, Craig Floyd and Citizens Behind the Badge. Our guest today is a successful businesswoman from Lavage, a Phoenix advertising agency where she served for over 20 years, and she's currently the chief operating officer and executive vice president. Alicia Wattis has been honored by the Federal Bureau of Investigation for her exceptional service in the public interest. The award is a one-time, first-ever recognition that spotlights her, spotlights her impact while serving as president of the FBI National Citizens Academy Alumni Association, the FBI NCAAA, and FBI community outreach partner. And I know the FBI does a lot of work in reaching out and gaining support and community allies. And the Citizens Academy is a great outreach tool. Hey, welcome to Policing Matters, Alicia Wattis. Thank you, Jim. It's really an honor to be on air with you today. And hopefully uh, in our conversation, we'll be able to encourage many, if not all of your listeners, that there are citizens who believe in what they are doing, who support them, and who so greatly respect what they're out there doing every day. Hey, thanks for what you do. And thanks for saying that. I've checked out your background and your bio as well. And thanks for carving out some time for us. I know you are so busy. You are uh, on top of your game. You're a career businesswoman. And uh, it's uh, a little counterintuitive for, to see you as the past president of the FBI National Citizens Academy. How did you make the jump from uh, private business to the FBI? Well, you know, of course, as a civilian and a volunteer for this uh, organization, it really has been a lifetime journey. And the short and literal answer of how I got involved was that a client of mine who was in totally different business said that she was involved in this association that was helping to promote safe online surfing for children. And she needed help creating a brochure, pro bono, of course, so that this organization that she was a part of could get this brochure out into the local schools. So I looked it over and saw it said FBI Phoenix Citizens Academy Alumni Association. Of course, the question is, what is that? Well, it's one thing to say that was my literal introduction to it. But Jim, I have to say, if you look back and you know I'm a woman of a certain age and, and I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, you know I've had a world of life experiences that have also impacted me. And I'm so many like, like many other women, I guess, where certain events in your life have steered you toward something. And 
if you ever want to go into detail, I'm happy to discuss any of it, but let's suffice it to say for now that all of these events led me to a point where one day, and it was probably in the late 90s, where I stood up and said, I have got to do something to better figure out how to protect myself and my family. And if you recall, somewhere around there, Columbine was happening, and I had my oldest son who had served in Desert Shield, and all these things were converging, never had had a gun in my house, and then I have two other young kids, and I recognize their parents have firearms, so what in the world am I doing to protect my children? Because in Phoenix, Arizona, you must teach them to swim, and so I'd done that when they were infants to help waterproof them, as they say, but I hadn't done anything about their personal safety other than don't take candy from a stranger, which began to seem woefully inadequate. So I read everything I could get my hands on in those late 90s. Uh, I attended seminars. I went to a firing range and said, hello, I don't know anything about a firearm. Please teach me. Um, that led to actually becoming a certified pistol instructor <laughs> because when I go into something, as you can probably tell from my bio, I jump in with two feet. And so what I wanted to be sure was that my children knew how to safely disarm a firearm, didn't really care if they ever wanted to take up target practice or anything like that. But I then got myself better trained in all sorts of fun ways. And again, I then put together a curriculum that I shared with other women and mothers. And I was invited by Ford Motor Company at one point to come in and talk to, to their people about how they could stay safe, you know, whether it be at home, at work, you know, in between the transit times and such. So that was really my why that was in me when I saw that brochure request from the FBI Phoenix Citizens Academy Alumni Association. Well, that's great. Well, that you know, anybody who says, uh, you know, brochures or flyers don't really mean a lot, that just changed uh, a lot of perceptions, I'm sure. So did you go through any kind of uh, training uh, at the FBI Academy? At, what was the curriculum introduced to you? I mean, you just talked about you brought something to the table for the FBI. What what did they do to, to immerse you? Well, as soon as I had piqued my interest with this brochure opportunity to help my client, uh, she showed me how to apply for the Citizens Academy. So I did for Phoenix, was accepted gratefully. And we had, it was somewhere about eight weeks, as I recall, of an immersion into what is federal law enforcement all about. And we heard and saw a variety of cases, everything from mortgage fraud to, you know, serial killers, whatever it might be. And they talked about how they conduct their investigation, how they uphold our civil liberties. They also then took us out into the field, so to speak, and set up a, a fake uh, bomb uh, area. And so we had a command post and we learned how to collect evidence. I found out that is not my job that I would like because it's very tedious. So I applaud those people who can sift through all of that evidence and find those very critical pieces. We learned how to do fingerprinting uh, so or, or finding fingerprints on objects, I should say. So they really exposed us in some hands-on ways to what real life law enforcement are doing. We also, at another opportunity, got to have a SWAT demonstration. 
And tell you what, hats off to those people. I mean, they are like a well-oiled machine. So impressed, especially when at one point their instructors sat in the facade room that they were going to have to come in and take out the bad guy and save the good people. He actually sat with his chair while they came in with live fire <laughs> and took out the bad guys and the instructor didn't have a hole in him when it was done. So it's very impressive to see what they do and to learn more about how they approach their everyday and what their life is like. Because I learned SWAT's only one of the things that an agent may be doing. They may be sitting at a desk for a lot of their work with their investigations, but when they're called into action on that, they get their gear and they go. Yeah. And everything you just said embodies what we've been talking about an awful lot. And that is some of the struggles that we've seen in the image of law enforcement in the public is that we don't demystify what law enforcement does. And so citizens, uh, private people uh, may be supporters of law enforcement, but when they see something in the media, they're not sure of what's behind uh, use of force or a SWAT activity or anything like that. And so they may be wondering why so much force was applied or or what tactics were used. So what a great vehicle for uh, explaining things to people like you who are supporters of law enforcement, but it just gives you that, that extra sense of, well, they're doing it because that's policy and protocols and it's the safe way to do things. And you've been around for over 15 years with the FBI National Citizens Academy. What keeps you sticking around after all these years? You know, it's really the opportunity to contribute to something bigger than myself. I think uh, the way I was raised, specifically my father's attitude was to serve others, is to serve others. And I also instilled that in my children. Um, two of my three have served in the Army, one for 10 plus years. Um, my daughter, who's a physician, she actually worked at the Veterans Administration Hospital for a couple of years and did some of her chief residency in Vermont at the VA. So she felt like that was her way to serve since her brothers went off, you know, literally to fight in battles. And so this is just this opportunity to stay engaged and to inspire other civilians to get involved, kind of look behind the curtain, as you say, of law enforcement to really understand what's going on. And it's given me a perspective. First of all, I, you, you know, you think about your local officer, you know, you see in the neighborhood or an FBI agent, they're these robots and they have their haircut a certain way and they're talk a certain way. Well, thankfully not anymore, right? Because of all the diversity of hiring and such. But even so, you forget their people. I mean, you know, they have a job to do. They must uphold the law and order, right? But they're still, they have families, they have lives. And so having the opportunity to go through the Citizens Academy and meet these folks and understand they're just really like me, it's also taught me ways to express uh, sentiment to my neighbors. For example, when they say, oh, that's so horrible, what's going on in the news? And he shouldn't have done this. Why didn't he just tase him? And of course, everybody's the armchair quarterback. And I understand that. I encourage them not to fall into that social media frenzy and to step back for a moment. And I, this is one example I'll use is I have a very good girlfriend who lives in a small, tight-knit community. It's a very upscale community. And one day, one of her neighbors was indicted on mortgage fraud. This is going back to that 2008 
meltdown, meltdown of mortgage fraud and such. Well, that was her next door neighbor. They had coffee. They got together for neighborhood barbecues there. And I said, so does that make everyone in her neighborhood then a bad person? No, there might have been one situation where somebody made a mistake or, you know, maybe it wasn't the best way to handle something. That's for those who are in the know to decide. But it should not cast doubt on the entire community, whether that community is your neighbor or a law enforcement organization. Yeah, great point. Great analogy. So not only did you stick around all these years, but you ascended to the office of the president of the organization. And when you when you got into the organization and then when you moved up to the president rank, what were your priorities? How did you find them out? Did you do an audit? Did you just sort of sit back and watch? Uh, you wanted to support the FBI and public safety in general. What were the priorities? Well, I am a woman of action. And the good news is I was given a pretty clear directive that there were some things happening out in the greater organization. We have about 59 chapters across the United States and Puerto Rico and Guam. So it's a huge community of chapters. And we needed to impress upon the chapters their obligation and according to the memorandum of agreement that they sign with each FBI field office, that they need to perform the community outreach mission of the FBI. And somehow that message was getting a little bit lost. And so my directive was really help them understand what we need to focus on, how we need to do it. And I also helped to build with a group of other volunteers, many volunteers, a, a set of tools and templates and guidelines and policies so that they would have very clear direction on how to promote the community outreach of their local FBI field office. So I was not stepping back, looking at things. I'd been involved, as you say, for you know a number of years already. So I very much knew how this organization works as a nonprofit organization, separate and apart from the FBI, but obviously with the initials FBI in our name, we're a partner and we must also respect the fact that those three letters are in our nonprofit name. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you bring up a good point about meshing your business uh, background with this organization to make it better and to push out initiatives and to place things into policy and practice. And I'd like to ask you about the last five years, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Officer Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at officerstore.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Alicia Wattis, the past president of the FBI National Citizens Academy, and a special award uh, recognized uh, individual for her service. And uh, to my knowledge, it's the first uh, ever of the sort. So, so you must have made quite an impression on the executive leadership of the FBI to give you that award. Uh, what did you say? What did you say when you, you heard about it? Well, the first time I heard that I was getting the award was when the award was being presented. And it was at a conference with our FBI partners, as well as a group of civilians. So several hundred people were in attendance. And because I am now in the position of being the immediate past president, I was not on stage introducing the speakers as I had done for the previous couple of years. 
And so I was sitting in the back of the room with our, uh, one of our partners from FBI HQ and just enjoying the conference. And we had assistant director up on stage and she was making some comments and so forth. And suddenly I heard my name and I'm looking, I'm looking at my FBI HQ partner and like, what is going on here? And it was at that moment, I learned I was being presented with that award. So I was truly humbled and honored. And in fact, I was uh, so surprised that I tried to go around the side to get up onto the stage to accept this great honor. And there was a, a blockade <laughs> in the area where I went. So I had to come back around and go a different method. It was just, uh, it was it was fabulous. It was amazing and just so unexpected. Yeah, well, I'm glad they recognize you for the work that you did. Your background is in business. Part of what you do is recruiting. And I'm wondering if you've used those talents in recruiting and helping recruit citizens to the FBI and CA. Uh, if so, what are your targets in the community? Where do you go? What's your, uh, what's your elevator speech? You bet. So we absolutely use recruitment strategies, but I'd say that the overarching recruitment strategy, which may not seem readily apparent at first glance, is to keep the conversation with the public uh, out there about all of the good work that our law enforcement partners are doing. And so, for example, we have a public facing Facebook page. And so we talk about it's, you know, it's National Domestic Week or whatever it might be and, and where they can turn to for resources. So we have an ongoing communication that puts uh, safety and security for people at the top of the page, if you will, and lets them know of all the resources and the law enforcement behind it. So that's kind of the, the layer of items that go on. And then it's really a personal touch because the when you say the targets of who we want, who we want in the organization are not necessarily people that are already, you know, marching to the I'm the law and order person. They might actually have some issues with law and order. But what we're looking for are people who are leaders in a certain sphere of influence. So they might be a business leader or a religious leader, but we want people who can influence a large group of other people because I, I'm pretty confident and I've seen it happen many times where someone has come in, skeptical would be a kind word, and they have walked out going, I so appreciate and value now what law enforcement is doing. And so as long as we can get a person who is considered a leader and then can share with their community, that's really who we're looking for. And so it's a personal touch because those of us who are already in the organization, we have a big sphere of influence. And so we can look at our friends, neighbors, colleagues, and say, you know what? You'd be a really great person to consider applying for this Citizens Academy. And also I encourage people too, to look at all law enforcement Citizens Academies because the police, the DEA, I don't know about ATF, but I bet they have one as well. So if somebody has a specific interest, I encourage them greatly to take a look and, and get that firsthand knowledge and get to know some of their people that are living and working in their community. Yeah, you beat me to the punch on that last, the last part about uh, applying to your local law enforcement citizens academy. I think that is so valuable. And I love your point about not just recruiting the uh, FOPs, the friends of police. I mean, you need to hear what the critics are saying and either demystify the process like we're talking about 
or bring them into the fold to better understand what it is that they're objecting to. I mean, otherwise, we just keep you know putting more bricks in that wall. So both good points. Do you have plans in helping bring business strategies to recruitment into helping recruit for law enforcement? You know, I don't have any plans, but that question actually has made me think maybe there is something that we can offer to law enforcement, especially from my background, marketing and advertising, public relations and such. Now, I will say in a local level, through my work with Lavage, uh, we've actually just recently uh, concluded a year-long project with the Phoenix Police Foundation. And while that's not in front and center recruitment, by helping them express to the public what good they are doing. In effect, that's a nice recruitment message if you think about it. I will have to give some thought of how I could actually get in and help law enforcement with some of the recruitment because it is so important. And yet I also know that just by the nature of what I'm doing along with the other hundreds of Citizens Academy graduates are doing when we are talking with people and demystifying law enforcement and, and getting a reasonable conversation going about things, that it opens people's mind to say, huh, maybe a career in law enforcement wouldn't be so bad. Uh, whereas, you know, nobody wants to be thinking they're gonna be a target. You know, during COVID time, all that happened during then, uh, I don't blame a person. I mean, they're already putting their lives on the line every day when it's a normal day, never mind when it's something escalating like that. I also am very much a proponent of women. I love to mentor women. And some of this comes because of the generation I grew up in. I will confess right now, Jim, what didn't want to be a police officer. I wanted to be an FBI agent. However, at the time when I was in high school, considering my college career, the FBI did not allow female agents. And so that happened shortly thereafter. So I don't want to date myself too much here. However, by that point, I'd already kind of picked this new path into marketing and advertising and, and kind of let that, that dream, if you will, go. But because I see other women aspiring for careers that have traditionally been a man's role is how can I encourage them? How can I encourage them to have the physical fitness that they need to have the mental acuity that's also required for whether it's local or federal law enforcement. So I'm very much exploring with them whenever the topic comes up, if somebody even says, oh, I'd kind of like to do this, but, and I talk to them and I share with them the women that I have met through law enforcement. Uh, and and I also love the stereotype breakers that we have right now. You are probably aware of the city of Tempe police officer who is Miss Arizona USA. Yeah. I mean, talk about making your head spin around. When would you ever have thought that would happen? So I applaud uh, women who are are really breaking those sorts of barriers. Yeah, I just saw I just saw that on social media. Um, and. Another good point. I think there's a 30 by 30 position in your future. I don't know if you know about that initiative, but it is to bring women in policing up to 30% of the ranks by 2030. And I think nationally, we're hovering around 13 or 14% of the workforce is women. So I encourage you to check that out. And okay. I think there's another brochure in your future, uh, I know you've had really great success in the business and advertising world. And I've been working with people um, about using business centric uh, strategies to keep people involved in the recruiting process, the high touch 
recruiting process where you keep a hold of people. And, and, you know, there's criticism on Gen Z that they need to be handheld, but I think it's encouragement that goes a long way. I don't know if you heard recently, we did a podcast with uh, George Rush, a successful uh, junior college football coach who uses his tactics and really getting some success and in, in encouraging young athletes to come into law enforcement. So I see you, I'm going to check back with you in about six or 12 months and, and see if we've got another podcast in us. So your primary role is that of community outreach for the FBI. What challenges have you had over the past three or four years? We know about the pandemic, the George Floyd incident, the defund movement, the resist movement. Um, what would you do to overcome those obstacles? Well, they were indeed obstacles uh, because we have these communities of people who are proponents for law enforcement who help to share the message. And we didn't want to lose those connections when we were all told to go home and put on our masks and, you know, don't go out and such. So we did a really fast pivot as a nationwide organization and began to do virtual events. A lot of that was learning. You know, everybody had to figure out how to get on Zoom. Now it seems like second nature. And you would say, why would I make a phone call when we can get on Zoom? But then it was a little bit new for many people. And also for many of the people that come through the Citizens Academy, they are typically a little older demo, not all of them, but typically because those are the folks who might have a little more time and, and set in their business and that they can devote to coming. And so we needed to get them comfortable with virtual events. But suddenly all of our chapters, almost all of our chapters, were doing these huge virtual events on everything from elder fraud, anti-human trafficking, to opioid crisis. Uh, it just was a plethora of topics that were being covered. And because it was also virtual, we could now open up these topics across the country. So if the Denver chapter were offering something, they would post it on our leadership forum page for other chapters and say, hey, your members are welcome to come because we have no limit seating at our Zoom. And so we were actually then able to leverage the work done in a specific chapter across the country. So even if it was a small chapter without all the wherewithal, they could still stay engaged and partake. We also then supported law enforcement during this time frame, And some of it was as simple as they needed masks at a command post. They needed hand sanitizer at a command post. And then sometimes it was a command post that was set up for something truly tragic, like a active shooter situation. And we would make sure that we would have food and beverage that was supplied for every, every law enforcement person working in that command post. So we have during or had during that COVID time, not only our normal operations, which went visual online, because we are a virtual organization, we have no brick and mortar place. So we were already virtual, but to then really not have public events in a public setting, but rather virtually. So we went to that as well as then still continuing to respond to incidents with helping out at the command post with whatever the law enforcement said they might need. Mm -hmm. And so being mindful of your time, and thank you so much for taking time to meet with us today. How can people find out to apply to the FBI National Citizens Academy? Why would they want to? And what's a perk? I know you're going to the National Academy headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Man, I would think that so many people would find that exciting. 
Yes, that really is exciting. And I would say that most of the people that go through a Citizens Academy in any field office city will get that opportunity to go visit Quantico. So they have typically offered a tour as kind of part of your graduation. You get to go and, and spend time there. So that's definitely a perk. I think the other perk, too, is just getting to meet who is in your community and find out what the work it is that they're doing. And they will give you tips and insights and information on staying safe and the things that they are doing that we have no clue that is happening behind the scenes keeping us safe at this very moment. So just that knowledge, I think alone is worthwhile. The other perk is that you get to sit there with other leaders of your community and network with them. I mean, I now have friends across the country, literally. Uh, in fact, uh, one, just a short story, uh, a Boston colleague in the Citizens Academy Alumni Association called me up one day and he said, have you talked to your daughter today? And I said, well, no. And at this point, she's at Dartmouth in Vermont. Well, this guy in Boston, he has a relative who's a nurse at the same hospital that my daughter was doing her chief residency. And he said, well, um, not to alarm you. However, as far as I know, everyone's safe, but there is an active shooter right now in the hospitals. <laughs> so I didn't hear it on the news, thank goodness, because I might have been on a plane, you know, just at that second. But it, it's those sorts of connections. You just you can't find that anywhere else, uh, very rarely anyway, especially in the civilian side. I mean, we're not this brotherhood or sisterhood of, of things. We're just all these individual people going about our business. But you join that Citizens Academy Alumni Association and you've now got a network of great people. And you've also got your FBI partners who consider you family. And to get that privilege, I think is awesome. So to find out more, what I would suggest is that they go to FBINCAAA.org and there's a, we have private pages and public, but on the public page, there will be a list of chapters. Find their local city, click on that, and then go to that website. And oftentimes each of the chapters will post the FBI's application for that Citizens Academy, or at least give information on how you get to apply. So I think that's probably the simplest way. The other thing too, is that we do have a Facebook page that's public facing. And so people could ask us questions and that's just, if they're on Facebook, look up national CAAA. Nice. Well, we've got the link posted in our show notes so our listeners can go there. I want to thank you so much, Alicia Wattis, the past president of the FBI National Citizens Academy. Thanks for all you do and exponentially the allies that you're making out there uh, it means so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. It's really been a pleasure and an honor and I hope to see you around as they say. Yeah. Hey, I also want to thank you so much for being a mom of uh, people in our military, your, your two sons in our military and your daughter, the physician who goes to the Veterans Hospital. Thanks for, for letting them do that and the service that they do. Please pass along my thanks. I will do so. As as one of my sons said uh, in his LinkedIn, actually, when I was looking at the other day, he described his service in the Army and he said, it isn't a job, it's a calling. And so that's how they feel about it. Nice. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Well, to, to our listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. You could find out more about the FBI Citizens Academy by clicking on the link in our show notes. Otherwise, I think it's the FBI Citizens or CAAA. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policing matters at policeone.com, policing matters at policeone.com. 